Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. I believe this is episode 192, and it's going to be a doozy. We have uh, two sponsors I'd like to mention at the top of the show. One of them, SAS Summit. You know, everybody's favorite CSS preprocessor that's coming up here uh, on November 18th and 19th. Go to sassummit.com and buy a ticket. Use coupon code Shop Talk Show. And uh, lynda.com. Dave, you want to give this a shot? L-Y-N-D-A. Yeah, they uh, they do uh, 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 learning. You know all about lynda.com. If you don't, definitely go to lynda.com slash shop talk and check out the massive learning resource that it is. We'll tell you about more of those things later in the show. But for now, Dave, I think it's theme song time. <laughs> You know what they say. Hey there, Shopamaniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave Rubin. With me is Chris Coyer. That's right. And we have special guest with us, Whitney Hess. Oh, thanks so much for being on the show. How are you, Whitney? Thank you. I am fantastic, and I'm so happy to be here. Oh, that is that is super, super great. So I, you know, I have, um, I don't know that we know each other super well, but I've seen you speak a number of times in the past and we've kind of have rolled in some of the same circles a little bit, but, <laughs> but I wonder, and that was kind of a, a life associated with you that had a lot to do with UX, right? And, and that's, is that's, there's been some twists and turns and stuff in your life. Do you still do a lot of that type of work or is, are you... I Can you still, tell us your story? Yes. I still very much consider myself in the world of user experience. I am a UXer at heart, and I always will be. But I've been transitioning from a practitioner to a coach. And so now I am focused on a broader range of things, and I'm working more specifically in helping others to do their best work rather than focusing on design work myself, but definitely still UX, but I'm also working with people in in other areas of technology and business as well. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you use the word coach there, and I know that's a big word for you lately because you you think of yourself as a coach, and it's not a it's not, it's a it's a real word. You're in a literally an accredited coach, right? Can you tell us about about that world a little bit? Sure. Um, when I happened upon coaching after searching for something that felt right, that was going to take me to the next level in my business, um, I came across this whole field of coaching, which I didn't know existed at all. Uh, I think it's a lot like when people know that there's something missing from their design and development process, like it feels a little too subjective and they happen upon this thing called user experience and they realize like it's a thing and then they realize there's a whole community of people who do this and there are events and conferences and blogs and books and oh my God, like where did this come from? Uh, Coaching was kind of the same thing where I was like, wait, I had never even heard of this before And it turns out that this is a whole discipline and there is a, there are a lot of associations just like we have a whole number of associations, but there's one in particular called the International Coach Federation, which is like a governing body 
that is pushing the coaching discipline forward. And a couple of the things that they do is that they accredit coaching training programs to ensure that they are teaching the right things and helping to build the best skills to make more coaches in the world. And then they also provide credentials for coach practitioners. So I went to an accredited training program to become a coach called New Ventures West. And that was a year-long program that was way more rigorous than I expected. A year long? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A year. It was crazy intense. From June 2013 to June 2014. And then I was certified through them. And then just last month, because of the hours of coaching that I have accrued since, I was able to submit a whole package, which was also a very rigorous process, to the ICF, and they gave me the credentials of professional certified coach. So I guess I have a stamp of approval, which in that world means a lot more than it does in our world, where sometimes we kind of like don't look too kindly upon certifications, and we like our open-ended Unrestricted, you know, unregulated. Yeah, I'm sure you saw that follow-up question coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the in the coach world, depending on the kinds of companies and the kinds of people you want to work with, it really does matter. It gives you a lot of additional credibility. And I added the the letters PCC at the end of my name in my Twitter profile for a day, and then I realized how douchey it made me look and feel. So I took no. it out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose I, it would feel a little weird if somebody had a PhD at the end of theirs too, or whatever. It felt good for the day, though. Yeah, <laughs> so, but I mean, maybe the, this world. You know, when I say this world, I mean you know, you know, you know that this show is is nerdy and 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 you know, web designer develop ee, and, and and I think there is a general vibe that you know accreditation is is a little bit laughable, and in fact, sometimes a scam. You know, yes. Um, but but I think people may think of it a little differently if you think of oh it's it's a very intense year long program. I mean that's almost never what certifications in this industry are, except for with the exception of maybe some of these like coding schools and things that are happening that um, are actually having some success. So I wonder if there's some similarities there. That yeah, I mean basically what I've been observing is that our profession is what, 20 years old, it's really still very young and just developing. And there is more formality and there is more regulation that's coming. We haven't experienced it yet, but it's on its way. The coaching profession has been around 50 years. So there's, it's just further along in its maturity. And what happens when you see a lot of traction around a profession is that suddenly everyone starts putting it on their business card. Like everyone calls themselves a web designer. Everyone calls themselves a UX person. Everyone calls themselves a developer. It can be very hard for prospective employers and clients to differentiate who's capable and who isn't. And so at some point, in order for a discipline to really mature fully, there needs to be something. It doesn't have to necessarily be licensing and it doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, a three-year Just an agreed understanding, possibly? 
an agreed understanding, but what's going to stop anyone from calling themselves a coach? Nothing. And people do all the time. It's nice to be able to differentiate yourself and say, I went through a program that has, you know, methodologies, process, techniques, self-development that puts me in a position to actually be able to do this work effectively. I didn't just wake up one morning and decide to call myself a coach, order new business cards, and uh, here I am, you know? Uh, This is Dave Rupert, professional podcast coach. Um, and I think, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I think this is a really great way to take it because our industry doesn't really have certification, you know, what um, maybe Microsoft certified developers is, is as high as it goes. But you've, as I understand, you, you became a professional coach who uh, kind of uses your expertise in UX. You, you teach UX or coach UX as opposed to, I uh, other other sort of avenues you could coach in. Is that right? They taught you how to coach in, in a – or did they offer a specialized UX path for you? No. So the people in my coaching school don't know what user experience is. That's, that's – it's a much more of a general coaching program that's focused on a particular approach to helping people – identify their blind spots, you know, overcome obstacles and build new skills. That's what I'm now bringing into our world because I see so much of a need for that in our community. I coach people who are aspiring UX practitioners, who are dissatisfied practitioners of all kinds, not just UX. And I also work with senior leaders who are trying to create organizational change and hitting a lot of roadblocks and unclear why they're not getting the traction that they want. So my coaching is significantly broader than UX alone, but I definitely think, to your point, my background as a user experience practitioner and the reputation that I was able to build for the work that I did has given me a lot of credibility to be able to work as a coach in this space, as opposed to someone who's just a general coach, they wouldn't have the context or the vocabulary or the consciousness of the things that that we care about that matter to us to necessarily be very effective in working with people like us. I think this is great. I, I think that's very helpful. It also kind of uh, it separates the the wheat from the chaff a little bit. I feel like anyone feels like they can read six Smashing Magazine articles and they're suddenly a professional uh, UX person. And uh, this sort of yeah, it's sort of that level up. You you you've leveled up your your skill set into I don't know co- coaching the people who do that. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. I'm describing your career terribly. I apologize. No, that's that's really very – I mean, that's the issue. It's that there is no career path for people in web work. There just isn't. I mean, it's not like you enter a web firm right out of school and then you're on the partner track or you're on the associate track. It's not like, you know, lawyers and accountants and bankers and – all these people who have very clear-cut career paths that are guided by mentors and managers in their corporations, and there's a lot of clarity around where their lives are going and what skills they need to build and 
and what tests they have to pass and how to get there. I like um, thinking that you think that's coming for us. Is that I mean, I think that's that's interesting. Are you like sure of it? That's Whitney Hess's position on you know or whatever. I'm not trying to codify it that strongly, but I would think that it could be argued the other way that this industry is just too weird for that. Like it's too casual for that. That stuff will never come. I think that that is the cycle of a profession, that it is Wild West, and then it's somewhat more banded together, and then it eventually becomes regulated. I think that that is the unfortunate cycle. I don't necessarily think it's always such a good thing, but there are benefits. Like, if you look at plumbing or, you know, electricians, they have apprenticeship they have licenses they have certifications they have to pass certain tests they have to be regulated in order to practice and a lot of times that's a huge selling point you'd rather invite a licensed electrician or a licensed plumber into your home than an unlicensed one you command more money you have greater respect there's just a greater sense of peace of mind when you're working with someone who's licensed because they are meeting certain standards. I don't think that there necessarily needs that that needs to occur in our space and but I also don't think that there's anything that really makes us special. Everyone is every profession, every occupation is weird when it begins because it's new. We're just in the really early stages of it and eventually there's it's just going to be there's going to be too much interest that we're going to need something that can help prospective employers, prospective clients just differentiate between different people in the market. Well, I think I think accessibility is probably the first regulation to to the that's the first regulatory hammer probably to drop because I know there's been talk for for really strict reg- accessibility, you know, regulations and so that's going to impact our for the sites, but you mean for the people as well? Well, just yeah, everyone's going to have to learn that and prove that you know how to make an accessible website, and and then that also trails into UX and everything is that you you know how to do you know accessible patterns, you know, kind of everything. I I, I think it's yeah, I think it's probably the future. I, I would agree. There's still a lot of room for creativity and flexibility, I think. I, I don't know that o- overregulation is what we're talking about here, but my sense is that in order for the field to reach a certain level of legitimacy and credibility, there needs to be some standards. And that's what we're all working towards. I mean, that's where how we have someone like Jeffrey who has such a huge following because he has been adamant about having certain standards for accessibility for half of his career. I mean, there are certain things that it's just the right thing to do to have a standard that everyone follows because it makes us all better. I'm not suggesting that we need regulation to, you know, keep out the bad guys or anything like that, but to the extent that it makes us all better and it makes the world better, I think it's a good thing. I'm enjoying thinking about your when you first learned about coaching that it that it like it uncovered this secret world of I'm sure there's there's books and websites and journals and heroes and and stuff in in that world too is that what you're kind of 
getting at that it's kind of a it was a secret world that kind of unveiled itself to you when you started learning more about it? Absolutely. And I had the exact same experience when I was three years out of college. I had no clue where my career as a UX practitioner was going. The only other UX practitioners I knew were the people that I worked with. And when I asked them, like, you know, for guidance, they didn't particularly know either. And then when I started to explore and I saw, oh, there's a conference I can go to. Oh, there's a local event I can go to. Oh, there's a meetup I can go to. Suddenly it was like, whoa, where have all these people been hiding? Like all (laughs) these people are having conversations about the things that I'm having conversations with myself about. And the same thing happened for me with coaching. I mean, there's coaching conferences, in-person, national, international, daily webinars. I mean, I could be on three webinars a day that are (laughs) with the leading figures in coaching across all disciplines, in all industries. it's, It's wild what's going on there. There's Slack groups. There's all sorts of online communities publications and blogs, websites, Facebook groups, Twitter accounts. I mean, everything that exists in the web design and development universe exists in the coaching world as well. They're not necessarily as technically savvy, I mean, because that's not their particular area of expertise, but many of them are, and they use all the same tools we do. Who's like a famous coach? Is there? Um, Like Marshall Goldsmith is probably one of the most famous coaches. He wrote the book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, and many other works. He's probably written like 20 books. Whoa. Um, What about like Tony Robbins? You've heard of him. Oh, sure. He's a coach. Yeah. So, yeah, there are... I'm just curious. I think that's kind of fun to think about, you know? There's like woodworking heroes and doctor heroes. <laughs> they're, exactly. They're everywhere. <laughs> you think people stop Jeffrey Zellman when he walks down the street? No one knows who he is, but to us, it's like, oh, I mean, that's how yeah. Chris and I know each other, right. right? But if, you know, if these kinds of same like coach, coaching figures, so to speak, were to walk down the street, no one would know who they are, but they have tremendous popularity and and prestige in the coaching communities. That's fantastic. So, it, but an, a, a word that goes along with coach in your world is empathy. And so far as that, you know, the kind of the t- title of your website, in a sense, says Whitney Hess, empathy coach. So, what's up with empathy? What, how does that factor in here? One of the main things that I was taught to do in my coaching training program was how to listen to people. Because if you are hired as a coach and you go into a conversation with your own agenda of what that person needs, you are going to end up offering them ideas that do not solve their problems. You're going to be offering them things that don't feel right, that they're not going to get excited about and that they're not going to do. So the key to that connection between a coach and a client is the ability to really listen. And that doesn't only mean hearing the words that come out of the person's mouth, but reading their body language, understanding their tone, 
being able to feel their energy and really experience vicariously what they are experiencing. That is ultimately what empathy is. I mean, the literal definition of empathy, which comes from a German word, is to feel into. And as a coach and as a UX practitioner, my primary responsibility was to feel into other people. That means understanding their emotions and understanding their needs. And that's really what differentiates UX designers from any other kind of designer is that philosophically, they are centered around first understanding the feelings and needs of their users so that they can design solutions that meet those needs. It's the same thing with a coach. And actually, as I went through my training program to become a coach, I was constantly struck at how similar the process is, how similar the approach and the whole mindset of coaching is to user experience in that way. It's all about creating connections between you and the person who you wish to serve. Uh, uh, we're going to get into it more in a second here. I'm going to do one quick little sponsor here. The URL we're trying to send you to is SAS Summit. So it's an Environments for Humans online conference, you know, like a webinar, you might say. <laughs> Coming up uh, November 18th and 19th, you know, all day in the, in the in the middle of the day kind of thing. So you can attend it at work, pop in and out. Uh, you know how that thing kind of goes. It's a two-day thing because there's a lot to say about SAS. But of course, it's not just like every talk is about SAS. It's about the world of front end and, and CSS and how all these kind of things fit together. It's going to be great. Uh, interaction with the speakers, you know, there's a chat room going the whole time. Uh, you get all of the videos when you're done with them, so you can kind of relive it or attend ones that you missed before. So go to sassummit.com and check that out. Again, that's November 18th and 19th, and use coupon code SHOPTALKSHOW for 20% off uh, when you buy your tickets for that. So we are talking with uh, Whitney Hess, that's WhitneyHess.com. Her blog is Pleasure and Pain at WhitneyHess.com slash blog. Does lots of interesting things uh, uh, in the world of coaching, including these interesting pay what you want sessions. You know, it's like when you remember when like uh, In Rainbows came out and like you could you could pay whatever you wanted for that record. That was pretty cool. Apparently Whitney's doing that for <laughs> coaching sessions too. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah, that's a relatively new thing I'm offering. Uh, and does a podcast called Designing Yourself uh, with with a fellow named Paul Aclear? Uh, Maclear. Maclear. Sorry, Paul. Uh, uh, yeah, but check out designingyourself.com. Now in its third season. Designingyourself.net. Dot .net. Dot .net. Did I say .com? I'm the worst. Uh, we're going to help some people. Uh, uh, we're going to do some some third-party coaching. Here, you ready? <laughs> Some, <laughs> this is sort of the meat and potatoes of the Shop Talk Show uh, <clears throat> questions and answers. Shelling out advice from afar. So, is it, uh, this might be a, a struggle with, uh, you wouldn't say most coaching you do without seeing the person, would you? Well, actually, a lot of my coaching is over the phone. So, there are many clients that I have that I've never actually seen face to face. But I will say this. Happy to answer any questions, but advice giving is not coaching. Okay. 
Okay, this is good to know. So we're we're not about to dive into some coaching. We're about to shell out some one-sided advice giving here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's I like it. I like it. Sure there's mu- I've actually I've learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> I I just am an advice shiller. Uh, <laughs> That's what you are. Peddling uh, advice, Dave. Jeff K. writes in, I am looking to change careers. I have an in at a company, but I just don't feel ready. I have done light development work for years. I, I know some HTML, CSS, JavaScript. I uh, I can write a for loop. <laughs> I have followed lessons on a bunch of these online coding school kind of things. Um, I do the I do the shop talk show, just build websites kind of thing. I understand I understand Git. I understand SAS. I understand the command line. I am on Dribble. Is it time to man up and apply? He says. Uh, is there is there always a feeling of I don't know enough? So Jeff K, it looks sounds like you know a lot of stuff, but is is scared to apply for a job? What's happening here? It seems to me that there are a couple things going on. One, that he is um, learning a lot, but maybe not practicing enough. So he's gained a lot of knowledge, but not a lot of experience. So I would recommend that he continues to put everything that he's learning into practice with side projects so that he can build his portfolio and really demonstrate what he can do. That will certainly help his confidence when it comes to applying for new positions. But something that all of my clients face who are in the midst of changing their careers, and many of them are, uh, is that they never feel like they're qualified enough for a position. And I often suggest that if you feel fully qualified for the position, you're probably overqualified. (laughs) We tend to diminish our qualifications. So if you have total confidence in your qualification for the position, that position should probably be reporting to you. I would suggest that you not let the job posts dictate how you run your life. And if that company is of interest to you and that position is something you want to grow into, reach out to them, share your story, be yourself, and see where the relationship goes. There you go, Jeff. Good luck uh, uh, on your journey here. Uh, I have one from Andrew Byrne. Do you want to do this one, Dave? Sure, I can do it. Uh, Andrew writes in, uh, six months ago, I got a job with a huge web-based corporation in the advertising technology sector. I was extremely lucky to get this job, and I'm very grateful for them to give me a chance. However, it's not really what I wanted to do, and I feel I'm being uh, soloed away from the rest, uh, maybe siloed away from the rest of the web development world. Uh, I try hard to stay up to date with everything. I listen to the show regularly. I subscribe to the weeklies, uh, newsletters, uh, but I find it hard to do any projects in my spare time with a full-time job and a relatively healthy and, uh, social life. Uh, I don't know where to fit in. I don't want to work with advertisement for the rest of my life. So uh, I still want to build my web development skill set. Moreover, I I like it. I want to be a web developer. Uh, so what do you think I should do? Uh, this seems like it is a common problem. I'd love to know how people tackle it. And so similar situation stuck kind of in, in the a, wrong job. Yeah. And kind of an advertisement job and wants to do more web stuff. It strikes me that Andrew says that he's 
extremely lucky that they took a chance on him because that signals me into his mindset, which is that he owes them something. I think a lot of people feel this way when they're first hired, that in fact, the company is doing them a favor by giving them a job when it's the opposite that's actually true. No company is going to waste their time, money, effort, and just do you a favor. If they do, they're probably not very good at running a business. That's not what's happening. What's happening is that they have a need and they see him as a solution to that need. So he's doing them a favor. They're paying him. He's the one with the solution. They're the one with the problem. If they have a problem that he's not interested in solving long-term and he sees his skills and his talents being put to better use in other areas because that's what he's more passionate about, then I don't think that he needs to waste his time in an organization that isn't really feeding his soul. It's time to move on. And there's no shame and no regret in that. You should be proud of the experience that you had. And go do something you really love. Life is short. That was a hell of an answer. Yeah, we need to we need to have more uh, uh, answers like that, Dave. Are you are you taking notes here? I'm taking notes. What I liked is that you uh, back to empathy. <laughs> not only did you pl- pluck kind of a, a feeling from his words, uh, but you you also were able to kind of like uh, visualize what the the company's value or, or how the company is able to perceive him or, or perceives him as like a, a thing to get a job done. And I thought, I think that's a kind of great insight because too often we think about like, what do I offer to this company or these people or this organization? And you don't think about like what, how does the company think of you? Yeah. That's, it's an interesting point of view. Yeah. Th- thanks for noticing that. It's actually something that comes up quite a bit with my clients when I'm coaching them to go on job interviews We always think that they are interviewing us. I don't know if that's what our parents taught us. That's what our teachers taught us. That's just the, you know, message that we get from society that when we're on an interview, they are interviewing us is actually the opposite. We're interviewing them. They need us more than we need them. Yes, we need the paycheck, but we could get that from anywhere. It doesn't have to be from them. They need our skills. That's what they're willing to pay for. And our oftentimes our personality and our approach, our process, there's so much that we're bringing to the table. And when we flip that switch and we realize it's up to us to interview our prospective employers, it gives us back so much power and so much confidence, we actually do better in the interview. Good stuff. Stephen Adams writes in, I've been listening to your show for a while. Now, one of the things that comes up again and again is the question of mentoring for students. Uh, I'm a developer. I've been a developer for a bunch of years. Now I'm getting back into web and JavaScript development. Uh, I, uh, 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 yeah, some career stuff. My question is, do you guys know of a way that older developers looking to move into new technology can get mentoring on this new technology besides Googling like a madman? So what's up with mentoring? Does it exist these days? Is it uh, something you can find still? Or Well, you'll have to tell me how it works from developer to developer, but something that 
I'm well, first of all, everyone wants a mentor. I mean, that's just like something that a lot of my clients are coming to me feeling like they do not have guidance, they do not have support, their managers or their bosses don't fully understand what they're about, and so they can't give them the guidance and support that they really need, and they want a mentor. What is challenging, though, is that this is a term that sounds very official, but it's for a very fluid and organic kind of relationship. Uh, I had a client the other day who was telling me that he found someone in his local area that's doing work that he really admires and wants to move into that kind of work eventually. And so he sent her an email, asked her out to lunch, you know, said, I'm looking for a mentor. They had lunch. He learned some things. Then when he emailed her afterwards to say thank you, the email response that she got that that she sent him was, you know, great to meet you. Here are a few things that I think you should do, like good luck in your search kind of thing. And he felt like it was a kiss off. She's clearly not interested in being my mentor. Um, The reality is that that is a relationship that evolves very slowly over time. When you approach someone and say, hey, will you be my mentor? That's just a tremendous amount of pressure. There are very few people who, first of all, feel that they are even are deserving of that. And as we get more successful and as we grow in our careers, that imposter syndrome just increases. And so now you're very successful, well-paid, and in a high-power position, You'd, you're even more doubting <laughs> your your validity and your credibility. And then someone's like, hey, can you be my mentor? It's like, whoa, pressure. I don't know if I can give you all the things that you think you need. Do you get guilt, though, when you say no, you know, or like I've, I've gotten that email before. I'm sure I'm sure all of us have occasionally. And then you say like, or, or maybe you don't say anything at all because you're so nervous of any answer not feeling right. Exactly. So I think that for for this person who wrote in, I'm sorry, I forget the name. Steve. Steven. I would recommend that Steven meets people in his area through events, networking, things of that nature, gets to know people. And who he has a natural connection with is a relationship that he can develop over time to the point where he may find that this person has become his mentor. As opposed to saying, I need a mentor and I'm going to go out in the world and interview people for my mentor position. I think it's just too much pressure. It's too artificial. And um, I don't know. I just don't know that that's necessarily going to lead to success. Actually makes me feel better, kind of, because I, I believe in mentoring. I think it's important. I think it's great to, to pass down knowledge. I think it's a vital kind of component of it. In fact, I was on a panel just the other day where we talked about the idea of, of 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 that you you know you really can't even uh, be senior in your role unless unless kind of mentoring and multiplying and 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 helping other people is is part of something that you do that's like what really makes you good <sighs> yeah and i've had to kind of you know lightly let people down when they you know have that formal request for it and i always feel a little bad about that but i'm like you know what i i do mentoring in a you know in a variety of different ways i think this podcast is light mentorship in a sense i think i've been writing for a million years that's kind of light mentorship i have now a, a company with employees and we kind of foster mentorship in the company so as much as i feel guilty about occasionally saying no i like it's it, i'm trying to feel less guilty about it cuz i'm trying to build you know, little mini communities that that uh, 
in a sense, mentorship. Yeah, I get that. And I would actually guess that there are probably dozens of people out in the world who consider you to be their mentor. They've never asked, like, will you be my mentor? And you have that official title in their world. But they perceive that either because of the interactions that you've had over the years and the ways in which you've helped them, insights that you've shared that have reshaped the direction of their careers or how they see themselves, what they've gotten out of this podcast, what they've gotten out of your posts, whatever, they probably perceive of you that way. There's something very different that occurs when someone that you don't know very well reaches out to you, or maybe don't know at all, reaches out to you with the request of you to be their mentor. It puts a lot of pressure on you. And I've experienced the same thing. It, it just doesn't make me feel good because it purports that there is something that you have to give them. And that may not be true. There, It might be that you're not so Even the if right you there. said yes, it wouldn't be as good of a relationship as it should be anyway. I, I think so. Yeah, that's what my experience has been. So, so Stephen, maybe you can find find somebody in a more natural method than just asking or you know finding some website that purports to match people up with mentors or anything like that. It's a little bit more organic of a process, perhaps. So uh, we got one. I was going to say you can like Paul Irish and Alex Sexton are people who have mentored me in, in how to write JavaScript and things like that. Uh, and sometimes they do it passively and I just, I just stalk their code, their like, <laughs> uh, GitHub repos, you know, and, and I just like try to reverse engineer what they did and why they did it. And, um, and, and you know, and Alex is younger than me. I think he's like 14 or something going on 15, but he's, uh, there's there's a lot of uh you know the, there's a lot of knowledge to be had and people are sharing knowledge so kind of echoing it could just be this totally natural totally passive mentorship that you're receiving um uh i've also been a part of the active stuff and and it's great but it has the potential to just fall apart because it's sort of unnatural it's not an organic f- growth but but it can still be rewarding but yeah. I, I will add that there is a big distinction between mentoring and coaching in that mentoring it oftentimes is seen as making someone in your image. It's like you have achieved a certain something in your career and the person, your mentee, wants to achieve that same thing. And so you are taking them under your wing and you're showing them all the things that you did or maybe you're helping them learn you know, more easily where you had to learn the hard way so that they too can achieve this thing you've achieved. Whereas coaching has this recognition that I, as the coach, may have never experienced what you've experienced and you may want to go in a completely different location that has nothing to do with what I do. But I'm like a facilitator of this process where you fulfill your full potential not me giving you advice, telling you, well, this is how I did it. And there's a real distinction there. I like that. Let me do another quick little sponsor. We, again, we have lynda.com sponsoring. That's L-Y-N-D-A. Challenge yourself to learn something new with a 
free 10-day trial if you go to lyneda.com slash shop talk. So just for fun, I thought I would look around on lynda.com for courses of empathy because we talked about that a little bit and there's actually quite a bit. So they have a course on having empathy from in their communicating uh, communication tips course, listening with empathy from their working with upset customers course, developing empathy from their leading with emotional intelligence course. There's a lot of this stuff on here. So, you know, if you think of lynda.com as this course in which you go to like learn Photoshop brushes or whatever, they totally have that stuff. They have web development stuff. They have photography stuff. They have OS stuff. They have iPhone uh, app learning stuff, but they also have, you know, management things and customer support things and leadership courses and lots of stuff. So the the breadth of material on lynda.com is really great. So whether you want to set new financial goals, find work-life balance, invest in a new hobby, ask your boss for a raise, find a new job, or improve upon your current job skills in 2015 or going into 2016 now, lynda.com has something for everyone. Uh, I think we have time for uh, one or two more here. You want to pick one, Dave? Sure. Uh, This question is from Justin Savage. Just maybe a quick question. Hey there, I've been a web designer for a while. I've always wanted to use it. Uh, Do you have any tips on becoming a freelance designer? Uh, Whitney, were you freelance UX when you were UXing as a career? Yes. Um, So my trajectory was that I came out of school. I went into a full-time job. I worked for a digital agency, then another digital agency, a financial software company, and all that time I was freelancing on the side until my client work became, you know, too demanding and I had to free up 50 hours a week and I decided to quit my full-time job. Um, That was a really interesting experience because once it became my full-time source of income, I realized that as a freelancer, I was really a hired hand, meaning that the strategy had probably already been set, the project had probably already been scoped, um, a lot of the upfront work had been completed by the time I was being brought in. And the impact that I could make on a project was rather limited. I was really there to execute more than anything else. And that wasn't satisfying for me personally. So I shifted from freelance to consulting. And once I just called myself something different and I took on that new identity as a consultant, I began to promote myself as a strategic partner rather than as a hired hand or an additional external resource. So, um, and then it was the shift from consulting to coaching that brought me to where I am now. So if these are skills that you are building on the side and you're feeling excited about putting them to use and getting a lot of practice, I would strongly recommend that you go for it and that you do freelance on the side of a full-time job. And you never know if the momentum builds, you may have a good reason to quit that full-time job. But keep in mind that what you call yourself shapes your identity and it shapes how other people see you as well. And that could have a big impact on the role that you play on these projects. So just be conscious of it. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. And J Justin, it sounds like you have yet to even dip your toe in, into the waters a little bit. I mean, I would say tips on becoming one is to start calling yourself one or thinking of yourself as one or making sure that there's some, you know, call to action in the world that uh, allows people to hire you as such. You know, you don't just get to be like, okay, I'm a freelance designer now, uh, and then be mad that nobody's finding you. You should probably have a personal website. There should probably be a, some kind of hire me button on that personal website. You might want to, you know, p post some of your stuff on Dribble. Make sure there's some kind of way to find you in the world as a freelance designer. Uh, announce it to the world. Uh, I would say to, you know, don't be shy about that. Say, I am a freelance developer. This is what I do. Please hire me. I am available for work, you know. You're not going to get hired unless you ask to be hired. Totally agree. All right. I, we should probably it's 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 coming up on that end a little bit, Dave. Do you have any uh final thoughts here? Uh well, yeah, we should wrap it up. Um Whitney, thank you so much uh for coming uh on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh we know your time's valuable and and also your your coaching and advice. And um so if People aren't following you and giving you money. How can they follow you and give you money? <laughs> you can find me at WhitneyHess.com. I'm at WhitneyHess on Twitter. And I offer all sorts of different coaching programs. I do group coaching programs, one-on-one. -on -one, and I also offer the pay-what-you-wish single sessions. If you're just needing a little bit of guidance, um, that's the thing for you. So check me out. Can I just add, you have a resources section on your website, which is kind of the classic like bookshelf of all bookshelves thing. It just, I, I love this and I just, I'm cruising through and I'm like, I've heard of this book or I saw an interview on the daily show with this guy uh, for this book. And, uh, it, I think it's good people. Everyone should go check it out. So thank you. I, 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 yeah, I really, I just was like, I'm now like even more inspired to pick up some of these books uh, finally. So like nonviolent communication, I've heard of that in countless podcasts and different scenarios. So I'm going to check it out. That That is the formative book on all things empathy, and it has completely changed my life. So everyone who's listening to this, go read nonviolent communication. You won't be sorry. Wow. Oh. From what I understand, it's kind of like a workplace disruptor. Like it'll just change how you view your workplace. It's just because it's all about communication. And all of your personal relationships as well. It, uh -oh. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it is truly amazing. Okay, great. Well, uh, I'm. What does it have to say on the subject of affiliate code, Amazon links? <laughs> I'm going to add one to that. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. All right. Uh, well, okay. Well, and thanks everyone for listening to this and downloading this in your podcatcher of choice. We really appreciate it. Uh, be sure to rate us up five stars. It's just that easy. Uh, and uh, be sure to uh, subscribe to Whitney's podcast as well if you enjoyed this show. And uh, designing yourself .net. Thank you. Yourself net and uh vote that one up too hey why not your stars are free your your thumb is just hovering over the button you just have to give it a star it's that easy come on um and then uh be sure to check us out at shop talk show on twitter and shop talk show.com slash jobs if you hate your job we talked a lot about changing jobs uh and chris you got some uh, i don't know i can say there's some hot ones i think there's about three of them posted today so now's the time you know i think uh Developers are starting to think about quarter one, 2016. They're needing to fill some roles. Use your 
Use your skills. Get a new job. Oh, and speaking of the Shop Talk job board, which is at shoptalkshow.com slash jobs, there's one job in particular that we want to tell you about because it's a really, really cool one. There is a front-end developer position open at ClearSpace Design. ClearSpace is in Toronto, Ontario. They have been helping clients create memorable brands and compelling communication programs since 2004. Wow, I wish I could go visit them. Toronto is a wonderful city that I desperately need to get back to. So, But this job as front-end developer, which is obviously perfect for everybody that listens to Shop Talk Show because it's kind of a front-end developer show, is to create uh, working HTML wireframes and prototypes, bring mock-ups to life with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, uh, testing, working with partners, collaborating with the design team, staying informed on the latest trends and techniques, and having fun to apply, send your resume to admin at clearspace.ca. You can check them out on the web at clearspace.ca as well. So uh, uh, thanks to them. Good luck in filling that position, and good luck to you of getting that position up there in Toronto. And we heard uh, some some uh, good news. Uh, somebody who listens to the Shop Talk show uh, said they, they uh, dramatically uh, increased Oh, I their forgot revenue. about that. So. It was just the other day somebody sent a, a DM to me saying that they, they, they did it and they went and they got a new job. They were feeling stuck in their old job uh, 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 and managed to find one and literally doubled their salary. So they're happier and Ew. making a lot more money. So. Ooh, yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And Chris, you got anything else? Uh, shopdogshow.com.